Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. No! Oh, my God. How could he do that? Are you on Donate What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, I know what you're all probably thinking. Oh my God, didn't I just hear from these guys yesterday? What a gift, extra Nerd Sesh. And yeah, you're getting it because this was a crazy day in sports. We had massive news with the Aaron Rodgers trade to the Jets and we had two very, very compelling basketball games. But the one that we have to start with, and we will get to Rodgers later in the show, but these NBA games were too good to wait, was Jimmy Butler having an absolute masterpiece legacy game, dragging the heat back from a late deficit and a massive talent deficit, putting up 56 and putting Miami up 3-1 to one in this series, obviously with Giannis coming back in this game. So, Logan, first off, how special was what we saw from Jimmy tonight? There's only so many guys that can do what Jimmy Butler did on the basketball court. And it was in the two most important periods of the game, Jimmy Butler took over. It's the thing that stars are made of. Um, 22 points in the first quarter. He scores 20 straight points for Miami in the first. And it's all difficult stuff, man. Um, a layup over Giannis, threes, which are not easy for Jimmy. A bunch of tough mid-range shot-making, man. And those 22 points tied for the most by any player in the play-by-play era in the first quarter. I mean, almost unprecedented. You know, you don't see anything like that right out of the gates. And it's something that, I mean, nobody else is doing anything for Miami. And it looked like initially that Milwaukee might just pull away from this thing from the onset. Mm -hmm. I mean, without Jimmy doing that in the first quarter, wraps. And then he does it again in the fourth quarter. I wrote him off. I mean, I was about to turn the game off. It's like, okay, Giannis is back on the court. Everything kind of goes the way we expected it to. Um, They have the size advantage, the talent advantage. They're just making more shots. And Jimmy is must-see basketball. Jimmy is a genuine, bona fide superstar and he reminded all of us 
uh, of that again tonight. And it's not like we had questions, Carson. We've always respected Jimmy's game. In the mm-hmm. 10 players we want for the playoffs pod, I said I wanted Jimmy. Jimmy was my 11th guy. I think I'd have to concretely put Jimmy in that top 10 now. Uh, Miami. Uh, I, so who are you bumping? Embiid. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's harsh. Yeah, it is harsh, but I'll do it. Um, 25-8 Miami run at the end of this game. Jimmy Banks, two clutch threes. Um, well, one of them is called a long two, but still, I mean, those were massive, massive shots to hit at the end of this game, man. And that's the thing about Jimmy, dude. He doesn't have a hole in his skill set, and that's what makes him mm-hmm. so special as a playmaker, as a guy who can set up stuff for his other teammates, as a difficult shot maker. And again, on the biggest stage, when he's locked in, Jimmy just has, he just exudes unreal confidence. And that was on full display too today, man. He doesn't normally typically take three-point shots the way he does with volume. But when he needed them, when he needed those tough buckets, he got them. Um, This is one of the best playoff games I've ever seen from an individual player period, and I I think it's one of the greatest playoff performances of all time because you can point to any guy on on this Miami roster and it's like, that's the real significance about this. It's like nobody else on this roster, save maybe Duncan Robinson, had what you could call a good game. Mm-hmm. This is Jimmy doing what Jimmy does. He put everybody on his back, like you referenced Greg Jennings last time, put everybody yep. on his back like Greg Jennings and took them across the finish line from the start of this game to the finish on both sides of the basketball. Um, yeah, flat out, this is one of the greatest individual performances I've ever seen. I agree completely. And I was ready to do a whole Jimmy conversation just after the first quarter. I mean, eight minutes into the first quarter, I was like, all right, this is just what he does, man. He's a different beast. And this was the best game of his career. I just said last night that I thought Jokic had played the best individual game in the playoffs up to that point. My God, this was in a different class. And Jimmy is special, man. The level of shot making that he's able to reach on this stage is unbelievable. Like we talked about yesterday, last couple of playoff runs, all of a sudden he takes four threes a night. He makes 38% of them. He was four for four from deep in game three in a big win. And this was another spot in which he was sensational from beyond the arc and from that deep mid-range area. And then he's incisive, man. He gets into that painted area pretty much at will. And if it's not all the way to the rim, it's going to be a floater where he's been nails or he's going to get his way to the line where he is always an incredibly high-volume free-throw shooter in the playoffs. So these last two playoff runs from Jimmy are like the best basketball that we've ever seen from him. I mean, the overall level as a score that he reached last year was better than even what we saw in that bubble run. But then the bubble run was also just this unbelievable not only overall effort, but particularly in the finals. I mean, he was 26-8-10 on 66% true shooting. Damn near single-handedly won the Heat two games. And if you think about the playoff run last year, where they go to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, not just that, they're within a shot of beating the Boston Celtics, who were way more talented. And it's not just that they were way more talented. Kyle Lowry was, like, unplayably bad in the playoffs last year. I think he shot 29% from the field. Tyler Hero was not good. He was an inefficient under 13 a night. Bam offensively. I think he was somewhere in that 14 to 15 range. It was Jimmy somehow getting his 28 a night super efficiently. 
he's special. And I think that he is one of the defining players of this generation. How many guys have been the engine of a team that has gone to the finals? It's a select list. Out of the guys who haven't won one in the past decade plus, I mean, I can't even think of anybody. It's Everybody's gotten one, right? Like you have KD, Steph, LeBron, Giannis. Nobody else has gotten to the finals and lost. So already he's in a special class himself there. But it's just this repeated pattern. He has these things that translate so well to the playoff stage. The willingness to get into the paint, to play physical basketball, but also the skilled shot making, the good decision making, the ability to control the game as a playmaker. And then that two-way impact is so important. But, I mean, this is blowing my mind, Logan, because we both agreed that Miami should be better without Giannis when you take Hero off of this Miami squad. And yet here the Heat are winning this game in which they were outplayed for most of it and Milwaukee was in control late. And it's like you said, nobody else really played that well. I mean, they continue to shoot above expectations as a team, but they're small, they're unathletic, they're not overly skilled. Bam is not a consistent offensive force. Nobody else can legitimately create their own shot. I mean, it was the Caleb Martin show late in regulation alongside Jimmy. Nobody else. It's just remarkable to me because Milwaukee should be better in every phase of the game. They're bigger. They're more physical. They're more skilled. They shoot the ball way better. They have more stars, way better depth, and they have the guy who should be the best player on the floor clearly every night, but he just wasn't. I mean, Jimmy was in a different class, man. And you also do see how much it matters in crunch time, the ability to get your own shot no matter what. I thought Giannis was really bad in crunch time. And I thought Drew was bad too. Neither of those guys are your traditional, like, smooth half-court bucket getters. That's what Middleton is supposed to be. And he just didn't have those opportunities in this game. And he wasn't great overall either. But Giannis is barreling into the rim. He's not going to get the same calls. Even the last possession, right? It's like, why do you even have the ball, Giannis? Get it to somebody who can possibly take a pull-up jumper. I mean, they're down five, so it didn't really matter. But nine seconds on the clock, Giannis is just with a loose handle sort of running into defenders just past the arc. And it's like, this is not your time to shine. This has never been your time to shine. But it is Jimmy's time to shine. And I think sometimes we underrate the level of pure shot maker that he is. Because on the playoff stage, I mean, what more does he have to prove? He's there. It's the mid-range game. Apparently, it's when he wants from beyond the arc, and it's that entire painted area. The guy is just a superhero. Yeah, and I mean, I think the big thing that we need to emphasize here is a lot of people base resumes and careers based off what guys did during the regular season, what accolades you got to. The playoffs is when it really matters, and I, I think you made some some really good points, Carson. One Jimmy has always stepped up on the playoff stage, and that is going to be his defining quality, his defining trait, and why he is cementing himself as, like you said, one of the best players of this era. And I don't mean that hyperbolically. Jimmy is up there with one of the best and one of the genuinely top 10 guys you want for the playoffs because of what he's done. And again, with the lack of supporting talent that he has here, there's no excuses. He's still getting it done. And what you said, dude... The most valuable thing you can have in late-game scenarios, and this is still going to be the knock on Giannis. I don't want to brag on Giannis too much because the Bucs were the better team for three quarters. 
They were. I mean, the Bucks were... It felt like they were going to pull away with this game. And Giannis still struggles with that. That's never been an issue with Jimmy. I mean, it was ugly, dude. You're, like, you're right. He should not have the ball. His one thing was, let me put my shoulder into Bam and try to get this layup to go mm-hmm. really quick. That's all he's got, and that's still going to be the knock on Giannis. There's no questions about Jimmy, and it's just a... Uh, it's insane, man. I. He craves these moments. He lives for these moments. And that's what he said yeah. after the game, too. You can read it on his lips. I live for this shit. I live for this shit. Jimmy is built for the moment. And I, it's it's amazing, man. I, I, don't, I don't know many other guys. I just want to emphasize the how special Jimmy is as a player. I don't know how many other guys there are in the league that have that gear, that have that will, that have that switch, that when it is big stage, nerve-wracking time, it's like Jimmy's at his best, man. It's it's insane. I, I genuinely, I mean, can you name a guy that steps up his game, Carson, like this in the league today? I don't think there's a single comp. Like, there's guys who are always great, like KD and Steph, but it's a different gear mm-hmm. that Jimmy just consistently reaches that I can't even... I can't quantify. Yeah. It's it's special, man. The only comparison I could think of in terms of I am this much better in the playoffs than the regular season would probably be Jamal Murray up to this point. But it's a smaller sample size, obviously. I mean, it's two runs in a series, not even a full series now. And he's certainly not getting to Jimmy's level when you're talking about the two-way impact. And the playoff resume is unbelievable. Since the beginning of last year's run, again, in which they completely overachieved, He's scoring 29 a night on 62.5% true shooting. He has as many playoff 40 pieces in his career as Steph Curry, Logan. I mean, there's only 21 50 pieces in the playoffs since the turn of the century. And he just had the second highest scoring one of them. And the other was Donovan Mitchell in the bubble. Listen, everything counts from the bubble, but offense was at levels that we've never seen. So this was just an unbelievable signature performance and... Jimmy, as I said, has to be one of the defining guys of this era. So I want to play a game with you that I thought of before Jimmy had gone superhero. I was just like, man, this first quarter is unbelievable. We should talk about this. I'm going to name some of the other, I don't know if I would say A-list, but definitely very relevant guys of this modern era of basketball. People who probably get brought up more than Jimmy, maybe celebrated more than Jimmy. And I want you to tell me who you think is better all time. All right. Jimmy or Carmelo Anthony? Jimmy. It's not close. I agree it's not close. And to anybody who thinks it is close, what I would say is that as a pure scorer on the playoff stage, we have seen that Jimmy can basically reach the heights that Melo did, which is kind of an unbelievable thing to say because that is single-handedly Melo's value, but he's going to do it less efficiently. He's going to be a liability as a decision-maker, playmaker. He's going to be a liability defensively, whereas Jimmy is going to excel defensively, strong decision-maker, and still an absolute takeover scorer. And by the way, I mean, has a playoff resume. Best guy on a finals team. Best guy who was knocking on the door of the finals last year. Melo went to the conference finals once and largely had a lot of mediocre teams, and I do think that he bears responsibility in that. Okay, how about Jimmy or Damian Lillard? It's a little closer there. I mean, Dame is a special, special shot creator, a special, special offensive engine. Yeah. Playoff stage, everything encapsulated in two-way value. I'm probably still going Jimmy. 
I think I have to agree, and this one is pretty close because Dame is just such a complete offensive engine in a way that Mello is not because of the playmaking value that you get from him, and he's a better pure scorer, honestly. But I think I have to go Jimmy too, man. Like, we just see the two-way dominance translate, and a lot of guys' efficiency really takes a hit in the playoffs. Like, Dame was incredible in the bubble, but overall in his playoff career, he's 56% true shooting, almost 26 a night, which is pretty strong. But Jimmy's efficiency is still really good. I mean, he's 58% true shooting, and three of his last four runs has been over 60%, and the team results have followed. So I don't know. I think that we view those guys as like, maybe it's unfair to say comparable regular season players. I think that Dame has the better regular season resume, but I think Jimmy clearly has the better playoff resume. So, all time, I think I slightly lean Jimmy, too. How about Jimmy or Paul George? Give me Jimmy. I mean, I love Mm. Paul George. Um, I think his MVP season is something to behold and something special. I mean, the level of shot-making that Paul George was able to reach that season, but it's like, I think at the end of the day, too, with a lot of these guys, Carson, it's... What moments can you pull from NBA history that you will really, really remember? And I'd even, you know, side with Damian Lillard over a guy like Paul George, too. It's like Dame has these great clutch shots. Maybe not individual value, you know what I mean? Because Paul's an all-time defender. Um, He's grown as a playmaker. He's a special scorer, too. But it's like, in this individually, when these guys are so comparable and so talented, Jimmy just has more moments that I can point to. And Paul George is kind of come out and said too I'm not the guy I don't know if I can be the guy on a championship team I can take Jimmy as my number one tomorrow and I believe that team can go out and win a title interesting I think this is a really tough one but I actually lean PG just barely and I think PG has gotten a really unfair rep in recent years because Dame hit that shot in his mouth And then he had that horrible series against the Mavs, which they actually survived. And then they lost to the Nuggets, not as much by his fault. He was actually mostly okay in that series. But he nicknames himself Playoff P, which was not a good play. But I think the overall body of work from Paul George, I mean, he was just great sooner. And I talk about Jimmy being the guy who's gotten to the finals but couldn't get over the hump. I should say we've actually seen the last two years now Tatum, Devin Booker two years ago, although I do think both those guys had stronger supporting cast than what Jimmy has. Jimmy had when he made the finals, but nobody has gotten closer more than Paul George. I mean, three different times he has been on the brink and none of those times should uh, the Pacers or the Clippers have won. I mean, they were at a massive talent deficit versus the Heat. Really good supporting cast that he had, and he wasn't like a bona fide superstar yet for that first run, but by the second run, he was pretty great. And then, obviously, the Clippers year, they were without Kawhi Leonard, but he was still remarkable. So, I don't know, man. I think that PG is bringing you all the two-way value. And I do actually like, if I'm building a basketball team, that he is a much better number two than Jimmy because of how incredibly valuable he is as that pure shooter. What do you disagree with about that? Jimmy's Jimmy's a one. Well, Jimmy's not a great one, not an ideal one, if you're trying to win a title. Jimmy's a one. PG is a two. That's my justification. Okay, I think you've been hanging out with your brother a little too much. Made three conference bro. finals as a one. 
and Jimmy has made a finals as a one and has been to the conference finals and got to a game seven. Okay, as PG a got one. to a game seven know, against man. the freaking Heat, the twenty thirteen Heat. Cool. I mean, does he want a cookie? Does he want a participation trophy? I feel I like mean, you're being cool, inconsistent bro. here, and you're. You, you love Jimmy, and Jimmy's a dog, and PG doesn't loved, feel like I've a dog. I've always loved but PG no, Exactly. Has, Thank you. You no. said it. I don't have to. No, no, I was no, no, just no, no, about no. to say that. You said it for me. Because Jimmy's got that. Oh, what I said Paul is, George does not. What I said is feels like. If you look at PG's playoff resume, it is a good one, dude. Like, he was really good in those two conference finals runs. Then he went. He was on shitty teams, but he was scoring, you know, his 27, 28 a night, doing what he could to bring them to the brink. And then that Clippers run was legitimately so impressive, the level of playmaking and scoring that we saw from him. And the defensive value has always been there, and the shooting has always been there. So I think that one's pretty close, but I am pretty high on PG all time. I think that he's just had some bad luck, and now it's been an, a terrible run. But I, I'm fine with going either way on that one. I just don't think we should act like it's no contest. All right, last one here, Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Stop. Stop? Oh, people aren't going to like that, Logan. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a little more interesting as a one, right? Because you talk about, I think the really interesting conversation to have here is between Jimmy and Russell Westbrook's level as floor raisers. Um, Jimmy, I think, is more multifaceted and can be mm -hmm. utilized in a lot of different ways than Russell Westbrook. And I also think... People, I hope they don't take what they've seen from Russ defensively in this series and recently with L.A. Uh, Russ was never a good defender in his prime. I will give the complete two-way edge to Jimmy Butler oh, any yeah. day of the week. Um, and as the guy, again, I don't want to be clouded by this recent playoff stretch. I just feel like Jimmy's playoff resume is better. Um, oh, it's much better. All day than Russ. I mean, we've seen Russ completely crap his pants on big stages where Jimmy just can't. And then you just talk about the shot making too, dude. In playoff basketball, in the half court is so much more valuable. Russ can be a negative in the half court when his jump shot is not hitting. That has never happened to Jimmy any day of his life. Um, I mean, please don't get on me, dude. I've gotten a lot of hate because I have crapped on Russ. Uh, yeah, I, I would take Jimmy and uh, with a pretty fair gap. Interesting. I would take Jimmy too, and I think that the overall basketball resume, if you were looking at the basketball reference page, is going to be better from Russ because he has the accolades, and he's got a couple first-team All-NBA selections and nine All-NBA selections overall, and most importantly to a lot of people probably, he has that MVP. But I just think it comes down to who do you believe is the better basketball player? Who do you want for a meaningful playoff run? It is Jimmy Butler to me. And there is no question that Russ is the more gifted basketball player. I mean, Russ was gifted by God with the kind of athleticism that we've only seen in a handful of guys ever. But there are some guys who just have the skill sets that translate, right? When we talk about that versatile shot making, that two-way value, that playmaking capability, and the understanding, the self-awareness, the basketball IQ to impact winning at the highest level. Jimmy is the epitome of that. That is why he excels so much on this stage. Russ is the antithesis of that. That's why he has always been significantly worse in the playoffs than in the regular season. Like, Logan, Russ has never been the best guy on a team that won a playoff series. Like, he has actively 
hindered his teams in recent years in various situations. I mean, he was awful in that Houston run. He couldn't make a shot for a Washington team that was no good, but nevertheless, it was ugly. In those last few Oklahoma City years, he's shooting the ball at disgusting volume, and it's under 40% from the floor every time. I mean, he's taking eight, 10 threes a night, and he's missing 70 to 75% of them. So it's just... The ceiling with Russ is incredible because of the athleticism and the playmaking and just how he collapses a defense. But we have too many times in the playoff stage seen him turn to everything is about me. I'm going to take a bunch of bad shots that are not my strength. I'm going to phase my teammates out of the game. I'm going to be a negative defensively. And the results tell the story of that. And by the way, his playoff career true shooting percentage is 51 Logan, like it is abysmal, man. 41% from the field, 30% from deep. And so I just think we've seen it too many times. Jimmy came to the brink of a finals and it's not just that team success element. He played better than Russ has ever played on a playoff run. That series was a level that we have never seen Russ reach in the playoffs. And last year was a better playoff run than Russ has ever had. Doing that by himself with everybody else underperforming, scoring at that efficiency with that playmaking and defense. So that's what it comes down to me. Because, again, you can look at the basketball reference page, but who do you actually have faith in? Who has shown that they have the skills and the resume to translate? It's Jimmy to me. So there you go. Logan takes Jimmy over all of them. I went back and forth on Jimmy and PG, but I do think that PG's done it a lot more times than people tend to give him credit for. What about this, Logan? Are the Bucks going to win this series? It's a good question, man. I mean, that, that is one thing that I want to put emphasis on is this series is not over. Uh, uh, a lot of people did like the Heat coming into this series against the Bucks with Giannis or without I don't know, man. I, it's just tough because the Bucks have to win three straight. I, I can see Miami as flawed as they are uh, with their lack of creators, with their inconsistent shooting, with their lack of size against this team, with their lack of depth in totality. I can see Jimmy having another 30 to 40 piece and the surrounding pieces here in Miami shooting well enough in winning this series. Um, all they have to get is one game. That's the only advantage that I would give Miami. You know, I still like Milwaukee in any individual mm-hmm. game because of the talent, because I still think they have the best player on the planet. But Miami has to get hot one game. We've seen it. We've seen it in a lot of different mm-hmm. playoff runs from a lot of these guys, and we've seen it in this series. I mean, Duncan Robinson hits four threes. Cody, uh, Caleb Martin hits two of them. Lowry hits two. I, you know what I mean? Like, and, and Jimmy does yep. his thing. I can see Miami. I don't – can I plead the fifth? I don't want to give you an actual sure. prediction on this one, man. I – yeah, it's – I'll give a prediction. I actually think Milwaukee still wins. I think they are a million times better. <laughs> like, this is just Jimmy and outlier shooting, dude. I mean, and Miami played hard and they made winning plays here, right? I mean, it was some big-time defense late forcing Drew into tough shots, not letting Giannis get to the rim easily, forcing turnovers. But I just think Milwaukee is so much better. And the Brooke Lopez factor, the fact that two of the last three games he has been monstrous because they have nobody who can guard him because they're so small and unathletic. I just think if Giannis plays better, and both Middleton and Holiday were 
off offensively in this game. And they didn't shoot the ball particularly well at all. And Miami shot the lights out for the fourth straight game, which is crazy because they were 27th in three-point percentage this season. And Jimmy scored 56, Logan. And it came down to the last minute of the game. And my and Milwaukee has two of the next three at home. I'm actually going to bet on them. I think it's going to be crazy to watch. And you know what? Maybe it's dumb to bet against Jimmy, but I'm not betting against Jimmy. Let me be clear about that. I am betting against every single other member of the Miami Heat, and I am betting on the Bucks being that much better. But for you who swore that the Heat were not going to win another game in this series after game two, it's a tough look. And Logan gets a very stern look on his face. Well, I do want to say, too, is sudden. I mean that this is gut check time. This is going to tell us a lot about Giannis, man, and this team. Like, Giannis mm-hmm. kind of looks scared, and I know he was hurt messing with that back stuff all game. Um, Giannis didn't look ready for the moment. And when Jimmy kept coming with those haymakers, bro, the Bucks did not have yep. a single answer. So, uh, no, I completely wrote Miami off. I- I'm not going to pick a side here like Twix. I'm going to stay right here in the middle, but – this is going to be a career-defining moment either for Jimmy Butler or for Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think, man. And I know Giannis missed a couple of games, but this is where I was ready to call Giannis the best, you know, I think Giannis is the best player on planet Earth. And if Giannis wants to prove that, you're going to win three straight games and you're going to do your thing because you are that guy. And uh, if not, yeah. guess what? Jimmy's got that conference finals where he got to a game seven. He was the best player on a team that got to the NBA finals. And he is going to be one of very few players in NBA history to lead an eight seed over a one seed. And that is one hell of a playoff resume if they get this thing done, man. So uh, to state the obvious, legacies are on the line here big time in this series. I agree completely. Let's pivot to the other game tonight. Grizzlies-Lakers, which was a grind, went to overtime, and the Lakers ended up getting the win to go up 3-1. What were your biggest takeaways from this? I didn't really have any major takeaways that are new um, because we've discussed a lot of this in the series. I was disappointed with a lot of L.A.'s effort. I was disappointed with LeBron being okay with playing off ball as much as he had, and that's been a constant thing in this playoff series. I mean, without D'Lo coming up big in the second half, hitting some floaters, hitting some threes, you know, they don't close within reach. I want to ask you something, uh, Carson. Sure. Are you more confident in this team uh, in L.A. that A.D. had an off night, that LeBron could play off ball so much, or are you still disappointed that we're not seeing L.A.'s potential be realized? Well, I think that there is a middle ground between the two of them because I think that you have the positive takeaway, which is that, Reeves and D'Lo again stepped up with the level of shot making. And what I did really like was that when it came down to these are the possessions that we absolutely need and they push it too close to comfort with the lackadaisical and we're not going to give full effort like guys, you're in the last six minutes of a playoff game in a one possession game. LeBron maybe take less than 12 seconds to get past half court on a possession because you think that you got fouled. Or there was that other where it was both Xavier Tillman and Triple J. I think it was somehow completely uncontested under the back under the basket for a board. There was nobody on the interior for the Lakers. It's like their effort has not been what it needs to be. Their consistency has not been what it needs to be. But I did like that LeBron did not play with his food on the big possessions. Down two, in regulation, Hard drive, 
great finish. There was that big possession early in overtime where he had, I think it was Tillman on him again, drove right to the bucket. Nice finish. And when it came time for the dagger, Lakers up three, he got right to the bucket, drew the contact to, and then he just let out a, a roar, which on really who? fired on me who? up. On Dylan Brooks, Logan. On the one and only. So I did like seeing that. And honestly, it's tough to say. I'm not too worried about it because you have to think LeBron knows when to turn the intensity up to maximum levels and AD should too. But these guys definitely do carry themselves like three-time defending champions. Like nobody else is ready to go into, all right, I think we're good here. We don't really need this game or we're up by enough in this game to where we don't need to push hard for this quarter. And that's not a great tendency to have. And you really don't see that often in playoff basketball where it literally just feels like, yeah, we don't care too much. So I'm a bit concerned about that, but I do think overall you like what you got from Russell and Reeves and you liked it when it came down to the moments LeBron stepped up and it wasn't, I'm going to settle. It was, oh wait, still nobody in the world can stop me from getting downhill. Yeah, there were a few more things that I didn't like from L.A. Um, I didn't like their effort on closing out on shots, too. I thought, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought Memphis just shot horridly, dude. They go 2 of 17 yeah. from the corner, and that's just like, that's just not going to happen. And those aren't, like, bad looks. Those are good looks that the Grizzlies are just clanging. And I know they don't have mm-hmm. great shooters outside of, say, Kennard. Um I did not like the effort defensively in that aspect. I thought it was just a really bad shooting night for Memphis. And then I didn't like that early on in this first half, dude, we're not getting enough Roy. I'm still questioning, you know, some of these rotations. Like, we're getting a lot of Troy Brown Jr. minutes. And I also didn't like – I don't mean to nitpick here, but that's what we got to do. I also didn't like Dennis Schroeder, man, on some of these late possessions, just throwing the ball away. Like, a Mm -hmm. a couple key what could have been crucial turnovers – uh, for LA here late in this game. I will say though with Schroeder, the defense was good and the quickness was at times kind of game breaking. You know, he got himself to the line a few times and he ended up with an efficient 12, but I do agree. I mean, that one possession in particular where he literally threw the ball to nobody. It's like, this doesn't need to be a Dennis Schroeder possession. This could be a LeBron James possession. I'd feel a bit better about that. And that's the one biggest adjustment. I know you already hit on that. I think that's the one biggest adjustment that I think the Lakers need to make moving forward, and that's leaning into their stars when they need to because it shouldn't be in these big moments. Reeves stepped up. He had that one layup, too, where he cut to the bucket, and I was like, my man, because LeBron collapses the defense. He makes the right pass out. It's a bad closeout. Reeves attacks it, makes a really crucial uh, clutch layup. He hits a big three late, too, but it's still like I know Reeves has shown it to me, and I know D'Lo has shown it to me. In these big moments, I need the Lakers to rely on their stars, and I need their stars to show up too. Like, it's just, it shouldn't come down to this. You know, I need LeBron to, and I know LeBron did it. Like you said, on those two big possessions, LeBron did it. I need LeBron to do it a little more often because I don't trust these guys, simply put, as much as I do LeBron and AD. Um, But, again, I, I am still left, Carson, unfulfilled in the sense that I still feel like the Lakers could be a lot better. And that is the one saving grace for them is I just still feel like we've not seen the apex of what the Lakers could be outside of the uh, last game where they dominate the first quarter. That's peak Lakers basketball. I still feel like we can see that a little more consistently. And so that is something to look forward to, I think. I do think 
that you're right, absolutely. And this is a bit concerning for Memphis to be down 3-1 to a team that really hasn't played that well that consistently. I mean, it's been two quarters. It was the fourth quarter of game one and the first quarter of game three where the Lakers have been like, wow, this team is the contender, the ceiling that we all thought was there. Well, I should say some of us, Logan. Let's not give credit to the many naysayers. But outside of that, it's been like solid, inconsistent, and the Grizzlies just don't look that good. And we've been skeptics of this team for a long time because of the issues with the half-court offense because of the issues with the spot-up shooting, which killed them today. I will say huge shout-out to Desmond Bain for having a massive night, even without being lights out from beyond the arc. But Jaw, too many threes for my liking with him. Like There are stretches where he's so unstoppable getting downhill, but it wasn't enough in this game. Triple J wasn't great offensively. I will say very good on the glass. In unbelievable protecting the rim, especially in that fourth quarter. He just erased a couple of Lakers attempts, and that was huge. But I don't feel great about this team. Dylan Brooks, another bad shooting night. I just don't like how they're built long-term. We've talked about it before, and I don't really know how they're going to improve significantly because they're committed to this core, and it would have to be a big Triple J leap, like consistently being an offensive force at the level of what his ceiling is. And even then, probably still need to round out the rotation a bit. I don't know, maybe get rid of Dylan Brooks for a better shooting wing. But bottom line, it's just not good for a team that is the two seed to again be getting outplayed by a lower seed, which by the way happened in a lot of the first round last year against the Timberwolves. And to be down, and by the way, the one game that you won was without your quote-unquote best player. It's just a very strange and not ideal dynamic. All right, let's talk football, Logan, because there is a big story from today. As we mentioned, Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the New York Jets. The Jets will get pick number 15 in this year's draft, swapping that with the Packers at number 13. They will also get a fifth rounder, but the Packers get to move up two spots this year. They get a 2023 second rounder. They get a sixth rounder, and they get a conditional second round pick for next year that turns into a first if Aaron Rodgers plays over 65% of the plays. So you would think that that will become a first rounder. What's your take on this for both sides? I know a lot of people are mad at the value that Green Bay got for Aaron Rodgers. I think this is very good value. Uh, oh, yeah. for Aaron Rodgers. Um, like, uh, people look at this, and maybe it's because they see the NBA trades that go down like this. Football is a completely different sport. It's especially different when you're trading for a guy that's going to be 40, year old, uh, 40 years old next season and maybe is only going to play next season in New York and then potentially retire. Like, first-round picks are traditionally four-year starters or more. You know, you're going to get a home run. You're going to get a guy who's really good and going to be with your team for a while. You get a second-round pick, which is another guy that is likely going to come into your team and be a starter for a few years. That is very, very valuable. And, more importantly, you have a pick next year that is, again, going to step into your organization and probably be a starter for years to come. And if it turns into a first, this is great tremendous Mm -hmm. value for Rodgers like I don't know 
what people thought they were going to get for a 40-year-old QB. This is a home run by Gutekunst, man. I'm telling you. And especially when I'm not the guy to predict fall-offs. I'm not the guy to predict that a guy is not going to be the superstar that we expected him to be. We saw what happened to Max Kellerman when he <laughs> predicted Tom Brady was going to fall off a cliff. And then he lines up a few more rings on his fingers and is still the best QB on the planet. Here was what I will tell you about Aaron Rodgers. He wasn't great last season. He had his most interceptions since taking over as QB of the, pa- of the Green Bay Packers. He had the lowest passing yards per game of his career. He had the lowest QBR of his career. He had the lowest passer rating of his career. He had the lowest average yards per attempt of his career. And I know the Packers have made this transition to being more of a run-first system with Rodgers and alleviating some pressure off of Rodgers. But he wasn't the same kind of playmaker that we have seen in years previous. And I noted this a couple months back when we were talking NFL heavy. He was the only quarterback to start in every game and not have a 300-yard passing game. What I am saying is, for a 40-year-old quarterback, where quarterbacks do inevitably have a fall-off, there are a lot of red flags. Mm -hmm. And you're stepping into a New York system that is going to be a new system. You're going to have new wideouts. And this is a guy who doesn't like putting in that extra effort to establish continuity with his wide receivers and trust. And that is a thing that matters in football. And so, look, I think the Jets are a great football team, and this is a complete upgrade over Mike White or Zach Wilson. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, yeah, man, they should give Zach Wilson another shot. This is an upgrade, obviously. Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks to play this game. I don't think he's going to be the great Aaron Rodgers that we saw a year ago, that we saw two years ago. I don't think that. But the question on the table is, are the Jets good enough surrounding him to where that doesn't matter? And Rodgers can be a game manager, a la Matthew Stafford, what he was when he was brought into the Los Angeles Rams to be the veteran decision maker, the veteran presence who can steady the ship and can do enough to win the Super Bowl. Because I don't think this is superhuman playmaker MVP Aaron Mm -hmm. Rodgers. I don't think that's what the New York Jets are getting here. Um, I think this is mutually beneficial for the New York Jets. I'd give this a C plus for the Green Bay Packers. I would give this a A. I think this is a, a great trade for Green Bay. That's pretty close to where I am on it overall, honestly. I can't be too critical critical of the Jets going out and getting a good quarterback because I made a TikTok for the volume today in which I ran down the history. I've quizzed you on it before since 2000. I mean, literally their best quarterback is Chad Pennington in that entire time. And the past decade has been especially brutal. You're going from Sanchez to Geno to Fitzpatrick to McCown to Sam Darnold to Zach Wilson. Like, it is an abomination. And I look today... They've been last in the division six of the last seven years, and they now have the longest playoff drought, I believe, in American sports, at least in the American sports that I care about. Sorry, that being football and basketball. So they're a really bad organization. But, I mean, this was obviously a promising year for them with Sala and the defense that they turned out, number four scoring defense in football, the emergence of a guy like Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall when he was healthy being fantastic so that's some skill position talent that you can be excited about in a defensive foundation and so when you replace the worst quarterback in the league Zach Wilson with a probably still top 10 guy Aaron Rodgers at the very least on the fringes you can go from seven wins to 10 pretty easily I would say is 10 wins worth giving up this kind of draft capital 
I don't know. I don't think it's a home run, as you said, but I'm okay with it. So I do like it more for Green Bay because I think you were at a crossroads and you just can't go through this charade over and over again with Rodgers and he's 39 and he wasn't great. And when he's not great, it doesn't justify it. And when you did invest a first round pick in Jordan Love, at some point you just got to let that fly. And this was a pretty natural breaking point. So I think absolutely to get potentially a second and a first is good value. Like he's 39 years old and expensive and he wasn't great. And he's keeping you from exploring your future when he wasn't great enough last year to justify that. So I think it's a win for the Packers. And like you said, for the Jets, I'm not going to criticize it because I do think it makes them better. The problem is, I don't know if you're aware, there's a certain powerhouse in the division that I think is going to still be given them work, and there's a certain powerhouse in the conference, that being the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think the Bengals are better, and I think the Chargers are probably going to be better, and there's just not a window for them to jump to contention to me, which I shouldn't say with confidence because there's so much variance in football year to year, but they're certainly not at the top of my power rankings in the AFC, which makes this, again, less of a home run kind of deal. Well, exactly. There's no guarantee, which is why making a trade like this and giving up this kind of value is a risk. All the teams you mentioned too, Carson, look, man, the Dolphins aren't going to be a you know a pushover nope. next season either. That division's tough. New England's going to be, you know, they're at least going to put up a yep. fight. You know, they're not going to roll over. Like, it's going to be tough. I do want to delve into some brief football history before we get out of sure. here. One, I just want to say it's not the Jets' fault, Carson. Joe Namath sold his soul and cursed the Jets forever, man. It's That's the only reason the Jets have had this much trouble finding their quarterback, man. Namath did that way back in the day, and that's why Chad Pennington is the best QB you can find for a few years. Um, two, I just it's so strange to me and so ironic, so poetic, so kind of beautiful how Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre's career have just aligned so perfectly Mm -hmm. and mirrored each other. And I don't just mean from him going to the Jets here. Yes, that's a really weird parallel that I think is really interesting. Also, probably the second best QB the Jets have had in that time span, sadly. The, The character, right? The theater that these guys enjoy and how these past few years have gone. Brett Favre did this same shit. Going, oh, am I going to retire? Am I not? Oh, I got you guys on the edge of your seat. You guys love me so much. Hey, I'm going to come back. Hey, I'm going to retire. Rodgers does this exact same thing. And it's football so weird to me that 20 years apart, we can get this, where the Packers still draft the replacement. The guy goes on to the Jets. He becomes the guy that I never thought Rodgers was going to become this, man. That was why... Favre was so unlikable because he lived for that, and he craved that. Favre had that bit of diva in him. He liked the attention. He liked the spotlight, and Rodgers slowly never seemed like he was going to get there became it. I just think that's really interesting to look in overall football history, the parallels of the careers between these two guys, and also another final parallel between these two guys. Got the monkey off their back very early into their Mm. careers by getting a Super Bowl. That's the biggest parallel to me is that Rodgers got it early, we all crowned him, Favre got it early, we all crowned him, and we all said, oh, this is the start of something big, you know, Rodgers is going to get four or five of these, oh, 
Favre's the GOAT. He's going to get four or five of these, and it doesn't happen. Just something really interesting uh, to look at for me as a football historian that, oh, it just it, it just lines up too perfect, man. Football's weird. I just can't wait for when Aaron Rodgers is doing a bunch of Wrangler commercials and then defrauds the people of Mississippi. That's going to be a crazy arc. It is funny, and at this point, it's going to be very interesting to see where Rodgers' career goes. But I will continue to root for him. He's a Cal Bear. Shout out on that front. And he is an incredibly gifted football player. And I think, honestly, underrated all time because his struggles in championship games, one and four record there. But, like, good God, man. He's got to be up there for the most perfect quarterback of all time and firmly in that top five discussion to me. So there you have it, everybody. All of our thoughts on the biggest news of the day. This was a wild day, a very fun day, and I'm glad that we got to sit down and talk about it with you all. So hope you've enjoyed. If you have and you're listening to the pod, please go ahead, give us a rate or review, Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening. Really appreciate it. If you're watching on YouTube, well, then good. You found us here because if you don't know, we are uploading all of our shows to YouTube now. So appreciate the support. Go ahead and follow us across social media. TikTok at nerd sesh. That's where we're the most active. Always Instagram, same handle, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh. And stay tuned in because it's a content storm. We're going to be back in two nights after Warriors Kings, which by the way, we didn't talk about Fox's injury. Big time bummer. Not looking so good for Sacktown now, but nevertheless, we will be hot on the tails of that game. And then game six will be after that. So lots of shows, lots of content coming to you guys from nerd sesh. So, as always, appreciate you. Hope you've enjoyed. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.